At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey, everybody. Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. It's the big match preview. Arsenal travel to Seville to take on the Spanish side in the UEFA Champions League this week. The Gunners need to really get back to winning ways when it comes to their UEFA Champions League group. It was a really, really poor performance. And then, of course, a, a really bad result when we went out to Lons just a little while ago. Certainly not a fatal blow for the Gunners, who have got plenty of time to kind of claw that back. But what that result means is that the group is very much now wide open, a group that Arsenal were looking at at the start of the competition and probably thinking, yeah, we could get through that. And possibly with some changes, could still potentially turn into a difficult one. So uh, fascinated to see how uh, Tuesday's game is going to go. And as I say, we're going to take you uh, through that. We're going to preview it. We're going to look ahead to it. We're going to bring you some reaction from the beautiful city of Seville as well. But ahead of the game, I've drafted in some help because uh, Spanish football is not my strong point. And I'm delighted to say that Spanish football expert Ruri Barlow joins me. Ruri um, welcome to the podcast. Uh, great to have you uh, alongside me. How's it going? Yeah, uh, great to be on, Harry. Thank you for having me on for my debut. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to a good game in Seville. And uh, yeah, jealous. I mean, I was in Seville about a week or two ago and you yourself are, are going to be there and it's, uh, it's a lovely place. So for any Gunas who are on their way to Andalusia, then uh, yeah, enjoy yourselves because you have a great time. Everybody keeps telling me what a beautiful place it is. And uh, Ruri has very kindly written me a really sort of detailed <laughs> explanation of where to go, what to see, all the rest of it. Um, so if there are any gooners out there listening that want uh, to have a look at that, let me know. And I'll, I'll forward <laughs> it on with full credit, of course, uh, to Ruri. But um, I guess I wanted to start off by getting the download on uh, Sevilla so far this season. Now, obviously, um, went very well in Europe last year as they tend to do in that competition, went all the way. Um, Europa League winners once again, not for the first time. They know all about that competition. Um, but going into the season, there was a lot of negativity around them. Sort of speaking to uh, Spanish football experts, and, and and I remember doing sort of a preview show uh, right at the start of the competition with uh, Andy Brassel. He said that this is not a very good Sevilla side. And so where are we at kind of, what, seven, eight weeks into the domestic season? We've had a couple of looks at them in, in the European competition as well. Where are Sevilla at currently, Rui? 
Yeah, it's a good question. It's a very good question. I think nobody's really quite sure because they've just sat their manager, Jose Luis Mendelibar, who was obviously in charge of that Europa League victory, is gone. Diego Alonso, who is the former Uruguay manager, I don't think he came in with kind of great hopes. This is a bit of a, a risk. Obviously, some of your kind of your listeners and viewers will be probably familiar with Victor Orta, who was at Leeds United uh, previously. He's come in. He came in as the Monchi replacement, who's obviously gone to Aston Villa and. And yeah, it's kind of chaotic. I mean, I wrote quite a lengthy piece about um, about kind of Sevilla and Diego Alonso and the problems that he's got to solve at the Sevilla side just before they played Real Madrid at the weekend. But football's a pretty strange game in the fact that if you give people a bit of confidence, if you kind of come in and you have uh, a plan and some clarity of idea, then you can really inspire football players to to do magnificent things. And they were... They were very good against Real Madrid, it has to be said. So we're just we're still kind of working out what this Diego Alonso appointment means for Sevilla. We're working out exactly how they're going to play. But against Real Madrid, they they were confident. They moved the ball well. They played a lot more kind of with the ball as opposed to more kind of a, a direct style under Jose Luis Mendilibar. But we'll see how that kind of goes in Europe against uh, a good Arsenal side and a side that, I mean, in Real Madrid. It's a pretty chippy rivalry there, and there's a lot of kind of aggro and back and forth. So, so yeah, it's no surprise they were up for that one. Just looking at Sevilla's start to the season, nine games played in La Liga, two wins, three draws, four defeats, um, a goal difference of uh, just plus one at the moment, uh, nine points on the board, just one win in their last five. So, yes, this is a team that Arsenal will look at and, and think, yeah, we should be turning these over. But I think there is a bit of concern uh, from an Arsenal perspective, with regards to some of our recent performances, the Gunners were excellent against Manchester City, as everybody knows. They they did a real good job of keeping them at arm's length and had a slice of fortune with the winning goal. I think we can all accept that. But then Arsenal turned up at Chelsea on Saturday and probably turned in one of their worst performances over the past couple of years. However, Ruri, they left with a point. They left with something. And that is a, a testament to what this Arsenal side have become. Over the years under Mikel Arteta, they've developed, they've developed a steel, a mentality and all of the rest of it. But I tend not to get too carried away with league form when we come to these Champions League games, because uh, I mean, you'd have been to the Ramon Sanchez uh, Pizuan, if I've said that correctly. Um, you know, it, it's a, a place that's rocking. It's the pace that's going to be packed to the rafters. And, and it almost gives Sevilla an opportunity to switch off from their domestic troubles and focus on a UEFA Champions League campaign that could still bring them some joy if they're able to get through the group. Absolutely. I mean, Sevilla, as we know in Europe, are a different animal, but equally in the Champions League, you always kind of have that doubt about them. I think what almost works in their favour in a game against Arsenal, as it did against kind of Manchester United, Juventus last season, these are sides that are used to kind of dominating the ball and kind of doing more attacking than defending, basically. And Sevilla given their experience, given the fact that they've got players like Rakitic, they've got players like Ocampos, Sergio Ramos obviously came in this summer after the deadline. These are players that are used to this kind of pressure, and so it doesn't really phase them to be under the cost too much. And so they're always dangerous to react during these games, even if they are under pressure, they're still liable to steal a goal or, or something like that, or really kind of reverse the momentum. But on the flip side, as you say, it, it's not it's not great Sevilla side. It's not a side that you're confident of Yusuf Nassidi has been probably in the best form of his career over the last kind of six to nine months, but he's still not a reliable goal scorer. They don't have a reliable goal scorer in general. You're always a little bit worried about kind of Sevilla's legs. I mean, 
they had Sergio Ramos and Jesus Navas starting. They were starting in 2008 for Spain kind of thing. I mean, yeah, it's, it's an aging side, but a side that does have that experience. So for Arsenal, I'd say it's a team that you don't want to let into the game. And Real Madrid missed a good few chances in that first half against them at the weekend. And that allowed Sevilla to kind of grow into it, get the crowd behind them and really kind of get themselves into it. What, what have you made of uh, Sergio Ramos's return? Obviously a huge name player, um, had a really great relationship with the Sevilla fans, left to go to Real Madrid, which upset a few um, in Andalusia, has returned now. But it, have the fans warmed to him since his return or are there fans that may be still on the fence about this? Because he's not the Sergio Ramos of, you know, seven, eight years ago, that's for sure. No, it's true. But I, I think... Sevilla, as we say, they're going through kind of a tough time over the last 12 months, despite that Europa League win. And I think once he arrived, the character, the personality really just kind of won everyone over. I mean, Ramos, he, he, he love him or hate him. He's a character. I'm glad he's back in La Liga for that reason, because he does generally turn in sort of interesting moments, if nothing else. And listen, his two best performances of the season, Barcelona away, Real Madrid at home. He was absolutely on fire at the weekend and he could have scored. He was very close to grabbing the winner for this uh, Sevilla team. And I think against Arsenal in the Champions League, that's another one where Diego Alonso will say, look, Sergio, go on, do your thing. Because on those big nights, when the lights and the cameras are on him, that's when he performs best. And it's it's probably against those kind of lesser sides where he tends to switch off or uh, maybe pick up an odd red card or two. I know I've got a new manager and that would probably mean that they're still finding their style. They're still trying to adapt to his ways. You know, Mendeleeva, different type of coach, different style of football. Now they're trying to change it up and, and, and move forward in a different direction. But what particularly in terms of, you know, will it be a back four, a midfield three? What are we likely to see from it? I know it's impossible to tell and they may well tweak it for Arsenal, but to give sort of the listeners a bit of an insight as to what type of outfit they're going to come up against, how could you describe them? Yeah, it's, it is really interesting because I watched Diego Alonso's Uruguay in the World Cup and they were pretty dour, to be honest. They were not a good side to watch. I mean, they had Luis Suarez and Cavani up front. They were playing very direct football. It wasn't a nice team and they consequently went out and were, were pretty poor over the whole thing. This Sevilla side, he's talked a good game. He said, look, I want to play progressive football. I want to get on the ball. I want to really kind of make use of the attacking players we have. And to be fair to him, against Real Madrid, you did see that. I think it was the team that's challenged Real Madrid most in midfield, apart from Atleti uh, this season. In the second half, they really took control. Bubakari Samari, who is a player that hadn't really had a shot under Mendelebar, he came in during the summer, but looked really good receiving the ball in space. He found the ball in space. He found gaps behind Real Madrid's midfielders. And that's a midfield that was obviously containing Chouameni, Kroos, um, Ferry Valverde and Jude Bellingham, of course. So, I mean, it's it's against a good side. What are we going to see from Diego Alonso's side? I think, in part, they will play to the crowd, they will play to the occasion, and they will try and be aggressive and, and up in Arsenal's face. But in general, I think what they'll try and do is switch the play. Marcos Acuna and Jesus Navas, yeah, aging, I mean, but they're very good. They've got a lot of quality. They looked a lot for them as an outlet ball and looked to kind of switch the play. And ultimately, in Yusuf Nassiri, who's who's their kind of number nine, and then Sergio Ramos as well from set pieces, 
for me, they've got two of the best aerial threats in Europe. I mean, and the series got a Cristiano style jump. It has to be said, he's he's not always as accurate as Cristiano, but he he does jump pretty high. And Sergio Ramos, we know he likes a, a big goal as well. So it's looking for this those fullbacks, looking for that kind of half space in behind the fullback between the centre half and the fullback, and then trying to get the ball into in the series or midfielders arriving. Brilliant stuff, um, Ruri. If you were to give us a prediction for this one. Um, you know, you know the Sevilla side way better than I do, which is making it difficult for me to predict how this game is going to go. What I will say is I'm not going into it arrogant. Um, I'm not going into it with an overconfidence because, as I say, I don't think Arsenal's performances have been great. I went to the game in Lons and I was really, really disappointed with the display that night and obviously the subsequent result. So I know full well that travelling on the continent against Champions League quality sides can be difficult no matter how much you get caught up in the Premier League bubble. You know, for, for a lot of these clubs, a, a club like Arsenal coming to town is a, is a big deal and, and they want to make the best of the occasion. And, and you know, that can add 10, 20% sometimes in terms of the performance level. But based on what you know of the two teams, how, how do you see this one going? Listen, it's, it's a tricky one to predict because as I say, Sevilla are kind of, they're one of those sides that don't necessarily need to play well to get results in Europe and and that crowd as well. It does push a lot. It does kind of really make it a cauldron for Sevilla. But I I, I see Arsenal as favourites for this one. I think it's going to be 2-1, 3-1. I think it will very much depend more on Arsenal. It'll be kind of a mirror test for themselves and say, right, OK, if we play play well, if we take our opportunities here and we don't give Sevilla the inch that they need to take, not necessarily a mile, but quite a few yards, then we'll win this game. And I think that will very much have to be kind of the message for Mikel Arteta and say, look, guys, if we play to our best, if we convert our chances, we'll win this game. And if you don't, then Sevilla are liable to cause you trouble. But I think Arsenal will have the edge here. And if they score in the first half, go one, two goals up, then I don't think Sevilla necessarily might not have enough to come back. Just quickly on um, on the weekend, I know there was some controversy after the Real Madrid game. There was those clips going round of... Uh, Vinicius Jr. getting getting some grief from from the crowd and and one crowd member that I could see anyway went way too far with it. Um, what's kind of been the fallout from that in Spain? I, I know it's a problem that we've seen on a few occasions in Spanish football. We see it in Italian football and it goes on in England as well. I'm not going to be one of those people that pretends that it's only a problem um, on the continent because that stuff seems to still creep in somehow um, all over the place. But what's been the fallout from uh, the events at, at Sevilla on uh, on the weekend? Yeah, listen, I mean, it's depressing. It's vile. I mean, we've seen far too much of it. It's been very much targeted at Benicius, who became a media target. I mean, he's, he's quite an aggressive player and he likes to go at um, the opposition, but in no way, obviously, is that a justification for the treatment that he receives. But certainly in Spain, it's been until kind of the last kind of three, four months of last season, where I think there was a much harder line taken on things. It's been allowed, frankly, to to fester and become this thing where Vinicius is okay to abuse. And and yeah, it, it's it's really got out of hand in terms of the fallout. Vinicius kind of tweeted out um, after the game and said, like, look, this is the 19th isolated incident in kind of inverted commas since I got here and, and said that he wants stronger laws and he's here to help. Sevilla, to their credit, did kick out one fan and kind of publicly announced that themselves. But then a second video came out of a child making a monkey gesture. And Jesus, that's that mad. It's, it's a kid. That's that's <laughs> mental that a kid. But for a kid to do that, it means that they've seen it and they think it's acceptable, 
which means that someone else has done it along the lines because a kid doesn't wake up one morning um, and think, yeah, I'm going to go and do that to, to Vinicius Jr. There's clearly something underlying it. And again, I'm not seeking to single out Sevilla here because, you know, it, it should be condemned, but it is a wider spread problem than just Seville. Um, so I don't want to be sort of tarring them all with the same brush or anything like that. But I mean, it's it, to me, it drives me crazy that we still see this stuff in, in 2023. It's just a nonsense, isn't it? I, I think what for has been the biggest surprise for a lot of kind of the foreign kind of journalists covering Spanish football, the people that are from abroad living in Spain, is that perhaps there's not necessarily been a differentiation between racism and just other insults. I mean, that's that's for me the biggest problem here. And yeah, like you say, Sevilla fans, I mean, Valencia fans, it, it's not it's not limited to a football club. I mean, there'll be Real Madrid fans who are racist and who will make racial gestures to to other teams this isn't a fan specific thing it's a it's a country and a culture specific thing and as you say that that child has obviously seen it is obviously think thinks it's success it's um acceptable and until kind of that changes and there is a harder line until people around him grab that child and say look you cannot do that that's not okay then this, the problem's going to continue to exist uh, but but yeah i think in in general Hopefully, the events of the last 12 months will at least serve to move things forward because until things like these are highlighted, until they kind of bubble up to the surface, then those prejudices continue to exist and continue to go unaddressed. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on. Until someone pulls that kid aside or any other kid that decides to do that and explains why, um, you know, it's not acceptable, then there's never going to be a stop to it. Look, we've... We've all been to football matches and seen people around us in the crowd crossing the line. I've certainly seen it on many occasions. And when I was a kid, um, you know, I didn't always understand what was wrong with what they were saying or what they were doing. And as you get older and you become more educated, you start to understand these things. Look, there are there are blatant incidents that, you know, are someone crossing the line. And as a kid, you know, for example, you know, some of the chants that would be aimed at rival clubs, you know, once you get a bit older and you understand what they're about, you then don't want to sing them anymore. So I think for me, it's about education, especially when we're talking about young kids um, who are sort of just copying, basically, and just uh, running off examples of what they're seeing. Um, Ruri, thank you so, so much for joining me, mate. I really, really appreciate your insight, your expertise uh, around Sevilla. Let people know uh, how they can keep up to date with all your great work, where to follow you and what you're up to. Yeah, you can find me at Ruri Barlow on Twitter. That's R-U-R-I Barlow as in kind of same as Gary spelling wise. But uh, but yeah, fo follow me there. I'll be promoting my work there. Football Espana is where my kind of home is. La Liga Lowdown, I do some stuff for them. But yeah, always a pleasure to chat to you, Harry. You're always good conversation. And uh, yeah, thanks very much for having me again. Thank you for joining me, Ruri. Really appreciate it. We're going to take a short pause. And when we're back, we'll look ahead to how Arsenal might line up for this one. Thank you, Ruri. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. 
Right, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, part two. We're going to look ahead to Arsenal's trip to Sevilla. Big thanks to Ruri Barlow, who joined us um, from Football España to give us the download on tomorrow night's uh, opponents. Right, um, we're going to get into the lineup. We'll do all of that stuff in just a moment, but I want to get um, some of you guys' thoughts uh, from the chat box as well. Uh, lots of you asking about the lineup and suggesting some changes that you'd make if you were in charge. As I say, I'll share with you guys my lineup in just a bit and we'll um, work our way through that conversation. John Daly says, uh, Harry, you're in the 90 Min studio. Is there a show today? There is. Uh, we're going to be live at a slightly later time. We're going to be live at around about 12.45 today, uh, just because some of the other guys are on a shoot. Um, they're talking to Rio Ferdinand this morning um, about the Manchester United ownership and some other bits and pieces. So uh, that's why they're going to be a bit late getting to the studio, which means that the show is a little bit uh, later. But there will be one and we've got lots to unpack as always. Scott Saunders is back as well. Um, so we'll um, we'll have some great conversation, I am sure. But anyway, um, let's turn our attentions back to Arsenal's trip to Seville uh, tomorrow night. This, this is going to be a really, really interesting game. Sort of listening to Ruri, although he was quite confident that Arsenal are a better side than them, that Arsenal should have the upper hand, that Arsenal have more quality and all the rest of it, you can't help but feel like Sevilla do have the weaponry and the capabilities to hurt us and to cause us problems. You know, it's going to be a, a raucous atmosphere. It's going to be a really, really intense game, I think. And and when you look at the group, which we'll look at in just a minute, I don't really think Arsenal can afford to lose this one if they want to finish as groupers. Maybe they can, depending on how results go over the coming weeks. But you certainly don't want to lose this one and put yourself in a position where you're on the back foot. I didn't expect us to lose in Lons. I knew it would be a difficult game because of the atmosphere, etc., etc. But I thought we'd at the absolute minimum come away from there with a point we didn't, which puts us in a difficult um, situation. Let's have a quick look at the group now. So uh, two games played a piece. Lons sit top of the group on four points. Of course, they drew with Sevilla in their opening game. Arsenal beat PSV Eindhoven in their opener, but lost um, away uh, to the French side. So we find ourselves in second. Sevilla are just behind us in third on a point. And PSV, who have got one point on the board, you know, they're only three points off the top of the group. So this group at the moment is wide open. And if Sevilla were to beat Arsenal uh, tomorrow night and move up to five points and PSV were to beat Lons, all of a sudden, you know, you've got one team on five. Uh, you've got two teams on four and one team on three. So that could be, um, you know, really, really interesting moving forward. Arsenal could end up bottom of the group if the results pan out that way. Uh, over the course of, of the next sort of 24, 48 hours. So, you know, we can ill afford to lose this game. I, I really do believe that Arsenal need response. The performance at Chelsea was no good. We've we've discussed it uh, in detail on the review show that we did. You can check that out, by the way. It's the last video, last episode um, on the channel slash podcast, depending on how you take in the content. I want to see a, a performance, of course, but that would be secondary to the result because I think the result is really, really important. If we go see a resilient Arsenal display, well-drilled defensively, don't give Sevilla a sniff, uh, do a good job of stifling the crowd in terms of their influence, then I'll be pretty satisfied with that. I'm not going to go too crazy about, you know, how pretty the football is or anything like that, because I really do see this as a must-win game now, um, or at least a must-not-lose. Um, you know, that's that's the key, isn't it, I guess. Right, um, 
let's uh, have a look then at the lineup. How would I line up uh, going into this one? Would I make some changes? I would. Um, I'd make a few changes to the starting 11 and we're going to discuss those now. Uh, let me know what you think of this. For those of you that are watching it, for those of you listening on audio, I'll just run you through it. Uh, Aaron Ramsdale would come back in goal for me and we'll talk about that in a minute. Ben White, William Saliba, Gabriel and Takahiro Tommy Asu would be my back four. My midfield three would be Thomas Partey, Declan Rice and Martin Odegaard with a front three of Saka, Martinelli and Jesus. Now, the bit that will jump out to you is, of course, me going with Ramsdale back in goal. Now, do I think that Mikel Arteta is going to do that? No, I don't. I think he's going to stick with David Raya. I, I really do. But as I said on the podcast yesterday, which I think uh, stirred up a few people's emotions, because if you read some of the replies I got on Twitter when I put a clip out, um, you wouldn't believe it. But basically what I said was, I'm not saying that we should bin David Raya and get rid of him and that there's no reason to sign him, you know, when the loan comes to an end and all the rest of that. I'm not judging him that harshly, that quickly. All I am saying is that if this is a fair fight for the number one spot, which Mikel Arteta keeps saying it is, then there is no reason for Aaron Ramsdale not to get an opportunity to come back in the side. Now, Mikel Arteta, obviously, uh, and the club revealed at the weekend that Aaron Ramsdale didn't participate in the Chelsea game because his wife had given birth. And that's fine. You know, I've been through it twice. I know what a difficult time it can be, you know, lack of rest. And I know that you, you don't really want to leave um, when something like that happens. So I understand why he wasn't available. I did say on the podcast yesterday that if he was the clear number one, I think he probably would have made himself available. I, I do think there's a difference. You know, he probably thought to himself, well, do I want to go to Stamford Bridge just to sit on the bench? Or do I want to spend time with my family now? It's do you see what I mean? I think there's a difference. Had he been the clear number one, I think he would have been at Stamford Bridge. But because he's not, he wasn't. Um, and, you know, that's fine. I'm not criticising him for that. But I do think the dynamic with Ramsdale has changed. And someone who's been super committed throughout and played through a period last season where he was going through some real troubles behind the scenes, as we've now come to find out. You know, I find it hard to believe that if he was still the number one and concerned or worried about David Raya taking his place, that he'd have missed that game. Arteta might well use the excuse that Ramsdale's not been about for a couple of days to not play him in this one as well. Because you could make the case, you could make the argument that he's not trained, that his head's not right, that he's been focused elsewhere, all the rest of it, etc., etc. So I think Arteta's got himself a bit of a shield against criticism this time around. But when you come to the weekend, then I think this debate will uh, rear its ugly head again. I would personally go with Ramsdale, but I think that Arteta will go with Raya. When it comes to the back four, the only change I, I want to see made is Tommy Asu to come in at left back. I think that Zinchenko defensively is suspect. We've said that throughout the duration of his Arsenal career, really. And what he was giving us was that ability to go into midfield, be the extra man, break lines with his passing, all of the rest of it. And I think we really needed that without Thomas Partey in the side. But taking into account that Thomas Partey should by now be fit enough to start, I want to see Tommy Asu at left back. Keep it solid, keep it nice and tight. And then leave the ball progression uh, to Thomas Partey sitting at the base of that midfield. Um, him and Declan Rice between them have the physicality to make up for um, the need to push that extra man in. I think Odegaard needs to have a good game. You know, he's due one. And I think having Partey and Rice 
alongside him could really elevate his performance levels. Saka, um, you know, he just looked rusty to me the other day. It was a poor performance from him, generally speaking. He did come up with an assist, which proved key in the end. Um, but I, I just think he needs to, to get back into full flow and back to full fitness. So he would continue on the right-hand side for me. Martinelli looked lively at times the other day. Obviously didn't have the impact that Leandro Trossard did when he came on. Um, but I'd put him back in the starting lineup and I'd go with Jesus up front. I'd entertain the argument that Kai Havertz should play up front. I'm not entertaining the argument that Enketia should start there, though. Um, so that's my uh, sort of feeling and thoughts on that. But do I see Arteta making the changing goal? No, I don't. Do I see him making the change at left back? Possibly, actually, because he was really, really um, annoyed with Zinchenko at the weekend. You could see it. You know, Arteta was in front of me. I, I was watching him closely during the game. And, and as I referenced on the pod that we did yesterday, when Zinchenko gave the ball away in that first period, and he did that on more than one occasion, but there was one particular occasion where Mikel Arteta went mad on the touchline. And then at half time he took him off. So clearly um, he wasn't satisfied with his performance. But that's the team I'd go with. Let me just run through it one more time. For those of you listening on audio, Ramsdale in goal. Um, and then I... Uh, would go with White, Saliba, Gabriel and Tomiyasu, Partey, Odegaard uh, and Rice in the midfield with Saka on the right, uh, Martinelli on the left and Gabriel Jesus through the middle. Let me know what you guys think. and um, let's, uh, let's have a hear from you. And also, um, if you've got any questions, pop them in for the last few minutes uh, of the episode. Uh, the Jordi Guna says, uh, Harry Zinchenko must play a midfield role um, he can't be trusted to defend against top-level opponents. I agree with that. I really do. Um, you know, I think he gives us loads on the ball, as we've discussed in the past. I think he's great in that sense. But I am concerned about the risk that we take when we play him at left-back against sides that are more than capable of hurting us. You know, you, you're asking a lot of Gabriel. You're asking him to go over and clean Zinchenko's mess all the time, which, you know, can be done. Um, when you're playing weaker opponents and can be done when you, you've you got the, the dominance. But you can't do it away at Stamford Bridge, for example. And I think we saw that uh, very clearly, didn't we, the other day. Um, Petan says uh, Havertz is Arteta's expensive signing. He needs to give him some starts in a row now to get the best out of him. As we touched on yesterday, I thought he was good when he came on um, up top. I, I really did. I thought he performed to a good level. I thought he linked up play. I say up top, he played sort of just in that hole behind the striker. I wouldn't be against him playing um, out in Seville. I really wouldn't. But do I think that's what Arteta is going to do? No. And I think in terms of energy and, you know, the fact that we need that unpredictability, I think that Jesus could be the one to use this time around because, you know, you're talking about Sevilla centre-half. You're talking about the likes of Sergio Ramos, right? He's not going to get outdone physically, you know, he's not going to lose those battles. Could you beat him for pace? Could you beat him with a bit of sharpness and a quick turn? Probably. Those are the things that you'd want to utilize, the skills that you'd want to utilize against someone like Sergio Ramos. So I think uh, Jesus is the better option for this game, but I'm I'm fine with Havertz playing as well because I think he's, he's progressively, slowly, but getting better and better. Um, Kenny says, uh, Arteta is the current problem for Arsenal. He's just messing about with the team. It's a hard one, right? Because I think Arteta's stuck between a rock and a hard place. Because on the one hand, last season's lack of rotation 
and the lack of alternative options that we had available to us ultimately cost us when we lost a few key players to injury. So for him to want to now be able to rotate and um, feeling that he has the squad to do that is not necessarily a bad thing and something we should kill him for, basically, metaphorically speaking, obviously. I just think that, you know, if you want to be a top, top team nowadays, you need to be able to rotate. You need to have options uh, available when you want to change it up. Look at the impact that the subs made at the weekend. You know, you can look at it two ways. You can say, well, the starting 11 was wrong, but I think most of us, with the exception of maybe Partey uh, playing um, over Jorginho, agreed with the starting lineup, but it didn't work because players didn't perform. So what did Arteta do? He turned to the bench and he made changes. Now, 12, 18 months ago, he wouldn't have made those changes because he wouldn't have had the confidence in the the substitutes, if you like, to be able to to call on them and trust in them to, to deliver on a game like that. So, you know, rotation is part and parcel of it. It's going to take us some time to get used to it, but it, it's got to happen. Um, John Daly says, uh, why wouldn't we ever go with three centre-backs and two up front? Havertz and Jesus with Martinelli on one side, Saka on the other. I think if you watch us in possession, John, we do play with three centre-backs. You will often see Zinchenko going to midfield and then it becomes a back three of Ben White, William Saliba and Gabriel. Sometimes Ben White pushes up as well and we leave ourselves with a back two um, with uh, with whoever the defensive midfielder is just dropping into that slightly deeper position as well. So I think if you watch us in possession, you'll see that a lot of the time we are sitting with a back three. Um, but to start that way and to play with a back three out of possession without having the cover at fullback, I think is is dangerous. And I don't think Mikel Arteta um, would go for that. Uh, Afsar says, um, what is wrong with Martin Odegaard? Do you think Xhaka's absence is affecting his performances? I just think he's had a few off games. Um, you know, I think he started the season okay. I just think in the last few weeks, he's dropped off a little bit. But also, and I've said this a, a million and one times, I feel like, over the last few weeks, what what the teams look at now when they face Arsenal? Who's the first player they look at stopping? It's Martin Odegaard. So there are special measures taken, more often than not, to try and, and cut off the supply to him. Um, you know, that that's what he's going to face. Arsenal have to find another way to get him in the game. Maybe he has to find another way, i.e. drifting into different areas, trying to get on the ball in different areas of the park to uh, have an influence from there, maybe carrying the ball from that little bit deeper, maybe taking up wider positions, uh, positions slightly to the left. You know, he's always on the right and, um, you know, he's he's sort of become a little bit predictable in that sense. I don't know. I think there are things that he has to figure out and has to do to be able to mitigate that problem. But it is an issue when you become sort of renowned for doing something that whenever you come up against opposition, the first thing is, right, how can we stop Odegaard? How can we stop Saka? And if we do that, we stand a good chance of keeping Arsenal quiet. So that's our challenge as a team to keep finding different solutions and different ways of, um, of you know, breaking teams down and overcoming the obstacles that, of course, uh, we're going to find. Right. Um, I am going to leave it there. Uh, a big thank you uh, to everybody for tuning in. A big thank you to Ruri Barlow as well, who joined me, Spanish football expert. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. He's well worth it. Um, brilliant Spanish football insights. Um, someone asked in the comments, is he a Sevilla fan? He's not a Sevilla fan, uh, to my knowledge. Um, 
but he covers Spanish football very, very closely for Football España, the La Liga lowdown and various other places as well. So uh, he is one to be following uh, if you want to keep across all things Spanish football. Thank you uh, so much for tuning in as always to all our YouTube viewers. Don't forget to leave a like on the video and subscribe to the channel uh, if you're brand new. It really, really does help. Uh, also, if you're listening on audio, then please do leave us a review as well. We'll be back very, very soon. Until then, uh, take care of yourselves and uh, I'll speak to you all from Seville. Catch you later. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. <laughs>